0: aren't we thankful for these great musicians to be able to worship with them and uh wow thank you so much for our music today if you'll grab your bibles and open to psalm number 42 i appreciate josh putting that video together for us this week and you know uh we are about to crest over the one year mark of when we had the big shutdown a year ago and you know this has been uh I mean, I've, I've heard many of you make remarks. Uh, we each try to describe it our own way. These are crazy times. These are unusual days. The, it's been a hard year. I mean, the phraseology, the phrases, the words go on and on. Uh, and, and we all have made some attempt to try to describe those days that we've just come out of. And we're all hopeful. I hope you are here today in a hopeful sense. I'm hopeful. I hear so many say, when are we going to get back to normal? Well, what does that look like exactly? Does that look like a culture of two masks? Does that look like, hey, everything will go back like it was exactly a year ago? What does normal mean? But I know this, we have been through a trifecta of tragedy. This past year has been challenging. These past 12 months are in the books. They're done. We know at the top of that was a medical crisis. There's, there's no debate about that. Uh, for a while, people he hauled around and said, well, that's, there's nothing to it. But when 500,000 people die, there is something to it. There's something to this sanctuary having a vacant seating section right back here in that corner. In the last four weeks, we lost two great ones right out of that back corner. And there's been others in our church family. So we know that from a medical standpoint, these challenges have caused us to be in great fear. There's been death. This whole thing of isolation, we're not done with that. Counselors are overwhelmed right now in our country because people are trying to uncover and put in words and emotions and make some sense out of the mental health element of what we've just walked through. Some are more challenged than others, but there's no question that there's isolation and confusion. And a big part of what we've walked through is just the fact of who can we really trust? I have been mean, watching people on TV, mask, no mask, vaccines, no vaccines, dates that have moved, things that have been unsettled. And we all in this place of worship today have been down that road together. You know, so-and-so said this and it didn't turn out to be true. And hey, they're a high-ranking official. And, and, and we all lost some confidence. We've walked through... The horror of this pandemic that's touched job situations in our economy. And you know, that's not the only challenge we faced. We haven't just walked through medical crisis, but political crisis. We have a culture right now that's caustic in our nation. And I don't care which side of the fence you're on, or if you're independent, or if you're trying to play the game, you're you're not going to be anything. Our church family has tried to handle things by this. So many have come to me and said, Pastor, we're just getting away from this whole political thing. It's dragging us down. And so we're not gonna watch Fox News nearly as much. Now that's an interesting way to put it. But you know, uh, I know this. We've just come out of a year and I don't say this from a male or female standpoint, from Caucasian or any other ethnicity, but I know this we saw the life, the air sucked out of a human being on the street this last year. You know, I I just wonder, are we that bad? Have we resigned to the fact that that's where we are as a culture? And and, And we live in a world that's, this division is fueled not by a difference of opinion, but by hatred. It's been a tough, tough year politically. But that's not all we've battled. We live in a world that's unsettled. We live in a world that's only one button push away from catastrophic results. There's some that will come to me and say, we, Pastor... All this pandemic's one thing, but this whole North Korea thing's something else. This China thing's something else. This Russia thing's something else. This Middle East thing's something else. Let me tell you something. We live in challenging days, but we're not the only people that have faced challenging days. This is not some obscure isolated event where in 2021, a group of American people are having tough days. Hey there have been many groups of people throughout world history that have gone through great tragedy. And so today, how do we answer the question of returning to normal? But really the question I want us to focus on today is, is it possible for us to hold all this together? I never thought I'd go to a grocery store and wouldn't be able to buy toilet paper. Now, you know, there's there's two things in my life that they need to be in any church or house across America. Everybody needs iced tea and everybody needs toilet paper. Now those two things are necessities in the world. But think about that for a moment. Supply change and grocery change. Somebody came running up to me last week and said, fill your truck up with diesel. There's about, country's about to be out of diesel. I mean, we live in some challenging days. And here's the question I would ask you. Are we going to be able to hold this thing together? A democracy is way overdue for collapse. There's never been a democracy that's lasted this long in the evolution of mankind. You do realize that, don't you, you history folks? I mean, we're way overdue to have collapse. And my question for you today is, are we going to be able to hold this thing together? And you're not going to like the answer. The answer is a resounding no. We will not be able to hold this thing together. You and I can't. But today, I want to remind you, as we continue our series And what I think are some real answers for life's biggest challenges and questions that we're just calling Lyrics for Life over in this book of Psalms. There are many of them in Psalm 46. We have the answer as to the one that can hold it together. And I'm gonna invite you today. You have a choice over these next 33 minutes. You can check out or you can check in and see what God's word is gonna say to us today. Everyone of us has to have a choice as a worshiper. When we open God's word, we can really engage, we can note take, We we can really latch on to God's word, we can listen, we can be attentive, we can pray even as we're learning, to ask God, God, really speak to me today. Whatever the text would be, I want you to speak to me through your word. And I hope that's what your heart is today. I hope you've come to this place ready to engage as we think about this important topic of how do we hold things together. There are some in this place today, your marriage is a disaster. It's not it, it's not that it has a few challenges, it's a mess. There's some that are in this place today that your finances are a mess. There's some in this place today that are, have struggles in the area of health. There are some that are struggling with their mental health. There are some parents in here that they may not acknowledge it today, but this, parenting, this whole parenting thing is ripping their heart out. There's some students in this place today that are struggling. And all of us need to be able to address this question when we leave in just a few moments. Is there anyone that can hold this thing together? And even in a broader sense, does God have anything to say? Is there a word from God does God have anything to say about where we are and what's going on in the nation and what's going on in this world? Is there a clear voice from God? And as we open up this 46th Psalm, it's a great Psalm of triumph. It's a Psalm that affirms God's victory over all kinds of threats, over nature and nations. It's really a Psalm that, again, reaffirms the sovereignty of of God it's a psalm that connects people in real need in distressful situations with God's special unique ability to protect and if there's one thing we can say in any kind of circumstances that God in times of trouble is tried and true can you say an amen to that that's one thing we can say with certainty when you look back across history of mankind God has always been faithful in times of trouble, he is tried and true. But you know, the times that we're living in remind us of the instability and the insecurity of life. Now there are a lot of different opinions from a theological standpoint about Psalm 46. I think we're probably on the best theological grounds out of Psalm 46 if we make the assumption When you think about the Psalms, we think were written over about 520 years or so. Now think about that for a moment with your thinking caps. This one book of the Bible was written over a span of over 500 years. But this Psalm evidently came out of some of the aftermath of the Assyrian expansion in around 700 B.C. We know two neighbors of the whole Jewish community, Israel as a nation, continue to be a thorn in their flesh, really more than that, but the two big players. From the north, always invading down southward, heading down south, always moving south, the Assyrians. And then coming from the south, always moving north, the Babylonians, over and over and over again. History tells us that during this incredible period or expanse of time of around 700 BC, the Assyrian army was making one of those surges and they were heading toward Jerusalem. And we think that that's probably the very expanse that this psalmist wrote these incredible words, either as an aftermath or in the very ending days of this incredible turmoil. So what I want to suggest to us today just to help us walk through these verses is let's just jot down some things that allow the scriptures to hang in a format that we're best going to be able to comprehend. And I would just suggest to you, first of all, jot it down with me, that if we focus our attention on holding things together by God's protection, that will be a good start for us. I want us just to think for a few moments together together as we read these verses about holding things together in terms of God's protection. There's only 11 of these verses. Let's read them all, let them hang together, and then we'll come back and talk about each one of them as we quickly walk through them. Here's what God's word says, Psalm 46. God is my refuge and strength an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we do not fear Though the earth give way, that's an interesting phrase. We'll be back to that in a moment. And the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, verse 4, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the most high dwells. And look in verse 5, God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of, uh, break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear and burns the shields with fire. And he says, be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations and I'll be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. And here it is a second time. The God of Jacob is our fortress. God holding things together by his incredible protection. You might just out there in the margins somewhere write these four words down. They're not gonna appear for you on the screen, But really, it's wrapped up around this concept. This will appear for you on the screen. We get a picture as we begin reading about how God reacts during times of great distress among inhabitants. A sense that... It's God gives us some assurance by his closeness, by his proximity, if you will, how close he is to his people. And just quickly, just four little S words that might help you shelter, strength, sufficiency, and security. Let me say those again shelter, strength, sufficiency, and security. Did you see all th- four of those in verses one and two? God is our refuge. By the way, that word refuge means to cover. He's our covering. He's our shelter. Some of you have that translation. He's our shelter, and he, there, there's a second one. He's our strength. He undergirds that element of uh, in 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 his people of how we can have strength and ever-present help in trouble. Now, some of you have this translation, in help of in a time of distress. That's a fascinating picture of his incredible that ever-present help his sufficiency by the way the way that's actually translated with the most accuracy from the Hebrew language abundantly available help that's what he has and then we get into verse 2 we start to see that whole security thing play out don't we really in verse 2 and 3 it appears that there's in a land of upheaval that word give way do you see it in verse 2 He says, though the earth may give way, it means to change or power is changing. You know, one thing you need to kind of understand about the Jewish people as a whole, when the Jewish people got in in, in trouble, especially the young children, the adolescents were always taught, run to the hills. That was kind of the cultural thing to do. If there was trouble in the city, run to the hills. Go to a high point. And It's interesting because the psalmist lays that whole picture out for us. He says, if the earth give way, if, in other words, if power begins to change, the structure around you is unsettled, he says, and then... The psalmist already kind of predicted what the answer would be. Run to the hills. He says, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. It's like you get there and those mountains are not safe. The place that you typically go for refuge are not safe. And then the big no-no here for the Jewish people. Look at the last part of that. They fall into the heart of the sea, verse 3. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Well, there's one thing we can say about the Jewish people. They were not seaworthy people. They were not big fans of the water. In fact, that's such a big thing for the Jewish community where in the book of Revelation, there will be no more sea. And so we have this incredible picture here that God's closeness to his people during some really challenging times are unfolding. But I would just suggest to you that we also see that he assures through his confidence, through his confidence. We look back at verses 2 and 3 and we see a couple of important phrases, therefore we will not fear. Now it's one thing to say we'll not fear during times that are going good, but it's certainly something else to say we're not fearful people in the midst of challenging days, And man, if we have not seen some challenging days. Every one of us have felt the pressures of these last 12 months. We all experience them in different ways. Shortages, death, sickness, economic impact, The challenges that have come up with so many things that we never even could imagine. But to say in those dark days, we will not fear. Now that would be something. Because you see, this fear that's mentioned here really springs, at least from a human standpoint, of the apprehension of danger or the sense of our own weakness. That's interesting because that word fear in the Hebrew language is not like fear we know. It's more of a sense of worship or God fearing. Do any of you remember in your old grammar English classes doing different sentence structure, diagramming sentences? Can I just see your hands if you've ever diagrammed a sentence? You remember that stuff? You would have what the noun, you'd have the verb. You'd have all kinds, man, you would have this little L-shaped deal come down here for prepositional phrase, and certain objects, they always, and you were drawing errors back to certain things, arrows, hey, hey, that relates to that, that describes that, man, that stuff just made me go crazy, man, you know what I'm saying? I would just suggest to you that really all of this fear concept in your Bible, I've just got it laid out here in my first three verses, but if we just drew an arrow back up to the very first, ver- very first word of the psalm, the very first word of this psalm really is so filled with Information. I'm assuming in whatever translation you're holding today, you have these three letters, G-O-D. And if you have a translation that has capital G, capital O, and capital D, I would probably put a rubber band around it and find me a better translation. Because in the Hebrew language, that should be translated into our English, capital G little o, little d. See, that doesn't mean a lot to English people, English-speaking people. But it meant everything in the Hebrew language to these people. Because there could have been the whole concept of what we know is the name Jehovah, capital G, capital O, capital D. It was that language that God gave to Moses during the whole burning bush episode. But that's not what the psalmist penned. The psalmist penned this word for God, El, Elohim. It's the oldest word name for God. Since the very moment that man began to speak a language and began to write as far back as we can trace him, there he is, the God that has always been Elohim. Isn't it interesting that the writer of this psalm said in the midst of challenges of fear, when it comes to protection, God, look at it, is our refuge and strength. The God Elohim that has always been, that is the God that is very close to us. And that is the God that should bring us incredible, incredible encouragement through the very confidence that we know we are his children. But I want you to jot down a second thing quickly. We've got to listen quickly today. That, that, that's just the essence that holding things together by God's provision is also a really big part. Is there a word from God today for us with the authority from God's word that not only He's there protecting us in the midst of this chaos, but that He's also holding things together by His provision? Pastor, is there a provision for our daily walk? Absolutely. Look in verse number four. There is a river. And we just start there with that phrase. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. You ever thought about the fact that humanity started with an important river right there in the Garden of Eden, the river of God? We know that in Revelation 22... There's a river, remember what the Bible teaches us? The river that proceeds from the very throne of God. You know, you really can't get the full essence of this unless we just quickly, quickly take you back in history to King Hezekiah and that whole Assyrian invasion. As as that Assyrian army started getting closer and closer to Jerusalem it was apparent there was gonna be something we call in military history a siege. One body is gonna surround another and try to last them out, starve them out, overwhelm them with time and force, that combination. And if you know anything about the city of Jerusalem, you know there is no river, although it's interesting, isn't it, because our text clearly gives us the locations as as Jerusalem. Look at it, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Now, what's the city of God? Well, that was the place where God dwelt with his people, where the Holy of Holies was. That was the city of Jerusalem. But there was no river there. But there was this incredible moment in history when Hezekiah had the foresight to have drilled 1,778 feet through stone, an aqueduct that reached over outside the walls of Jerusalem into that very important natural spring, that ancient natural spring had never failed the people of that area. It was called the spring of Gihon. And so the enemies had no idea that there was fresh flowing water flowing into a reservoir in the city of Jerusalem within the perimeter walls. What a difference that made. That secret source of water and instead of the children of Israel being defeated and falling out of a strength from a foe without, that weakness became a strength because of that flowing river, that flowing reservoir of water, that secret river, if you will, kept them strong. I have been disheartened, as some of you have over these past few weeks, by the news as we talked about last week, we may be through with the virus, but it's not through with us. The variants, the mutations. And now experts are telling us even in these last couple days, the probability that this thing is not going to be over. But you know, for us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't know how you handle this, but every single day of my life now, I approach God in the same way. I try to find the quietest place possible. And in the morning time, I always approach God and do the same two things. The first thing I do with my holy God is I say, God, I'm just, well, I just want you to know, I'm coming to put myself up on, underneath your leadership as your servant. And then I always ask God, God, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? And you know, you and I live in some crazy and times, but can I just suggest to you, if there's anybody in the nation today that should have a word from God, it's the Christian that has humbled his or herself under the authority of God and allow God to fill them with his spirit. And I ask you this question, just as discussion for your lunchtime today, it concerns me greatly. Why is there not more power Coming from the church today. Why is there not more power inside of God's people that every day we have this internal feeding, a very reservoir and river of God's sustenance and His strength imp- just completely infilling our life? Three weeks ago one of the most intelligent men in our church walked into my office and said, do you have a few minutes? He didn't give me a choice if I had a few minutes. He walked in and said, do you have a few minutes? And so I said, hey, I got a few minutes. And he asked me this question. He said, pastor, do you believe that God has removed his hand of protection from our nation? Pastor, not very long ago, some planes plowed into some towers and it changed the course of history here in America. Pastor, now we are facing an unparalleled pandemic. Our nation is in unrest. The world is upside down. Crazy leaders all over the place. Pastor, I just want to know what your opinion is. Do you believe, Pastor, that the hand of God's protection has been removed from our nation? And I answered him in three ways. I said, first, I can just assure you that you know as well as I that the Bible tells us there will be a day that God himself will withdraw the Holy Spirit from his people. I said, you also know in biblical history, you and I can read our Bibles all the way through and we're reminded that there have been a number of times that God literally released the Babylonians or he would release the Assyrians in order to bring people unto submission to him. And I said, I would answer a third way, And that is very simply this. We know that God, through the days, there's been many times that He has chosen to use the enemy to bring people back to Him. And He looked at me and He said, You know, Pastor, that's a very frightening, scary thought. And I said, That's not so much a scary or frightening thought, that's a biblical thought. I would just suggest to you today that I don't have the authority or the answer if God's hand's been removed. But I can tell you this, for you that would join me in saying, you know, at times it's very difficult for me to figure all this out. There's always been a lot of things that we can't figure out, but I'm still, and I hope you are too, committed to him, even in those moments when we don't know with certainty the questions to some of those difficult answers. You find it a little strange that in John chapter 7, the Bible prefaces these words by saying, on the last day, Jesus stood and said this in a loud voice. I want to quote it from John 7, 38. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. What a fascinating statement. It bothers me greatly that believers in churches today don 't have more power from God. I think Jeremiah had it exactly right boy they didn 't like old jeremiah they didn 't like his preaching they didn 't like his teaching, they tried to kill him. but I believe Jeremiah had it right when he said in jeremiah two hundred thirteen "My people have committed two sins. sin number one they've forsaken me for what the spring of living water. They've forsaken me, the very spring of living water. They've turned from me. And number two, now they've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Wow. Do you realize today that you and I have a reservoir and a river available and in us Are you tapping into that every single day of your life? Are our students tapping into that? Are our deacons tapping into that? Are our committee members tapping? Are our small group leaders tapping into that? Are we receiving the power from that secret river, that, that flowing, abundant river that flows through every one of us? You see, hey, pastor, is there any encouragement here? Is there any discernment here for everyday life through these kind of moments? Absolutely. A river, but not just a river, look in verse five, a resident, a real resident. Look, it says, uh, that first phrase in verse five, God is in the midst of her. God is, NIV says what? Within her. You know, if we were walking around with someone in the Jewish community in that day and time, and... uh, and let's say we weren't Jewish and we just say, hey, we're trying to learn all we can about Jewish culture. Hey, where, where is is God here with you? They would quickly usher us up to the temple. We would have to stop at the very gate of the Gentiles. That's as far as we could get with them or uh, walking with them. And then they would start pointing. They would say, now, if you go right on up those steps, uh, you would come into an outer court. And they would say, pretty soon, there's gonna be some canvas, if you will, and some walls, if you will. But if you keep going far enough, there's gonna be this, inner court and this huge hallway and inside there it's going to be the holy of holies and that's where God dwells. But you know our Bibles today say something very important. They remind us that God no longer dwells in temples made by human hands. He now dwells what? In our midst. You see it in verse five? He lives within us. We're now the very vessel that he inhabits. That little word midst, uh, that that word within in the NIV language is is a little word that translates in the hollow of. We would say, uh, for instance, we would use it in conjunction with in the hollow of your hand. And can I just encourage you today, don't let the anxiety of your heart lead you into a place of depression and discouragement. God lives in us. Now that's a good word from the Lord today. But quickly, look at this third element And I just want you to look at it, our time's gone. Holding things together by God's perspective. There's a measurement of our devotion here that's very important. This God that's our redeeming God that the psalmist described during times of great trouble and peril, during dark days. And and, and there's two invitations here. I just want you to mark them quickly. Look in verse 8, the first of two invitations. Come and see. Do you see that invitation? Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations that he has brought on the earth. Jeremiah, I said in Jeremiah 33, "Call to me and I will answer you and tell you of great and unsearchable things that you do not know. Come and see. Come and see. Think about that invitation for a moment. The measure of our devotion to Him, from God's perspective, Are you willing to just come and see what I'll do? I want you to watch what I'll do through, the, through these crazy moments that, you know what, you feel like you're at wit's end. Can you imagine as the, the city was about to be surrounded, they had great confidence in that internal water source, but there was still no doubt fear and apprehension. It's as if God is telling, was telling them, come and see, just watch what's going to unfold. And, and for us, our trust in him, as God says, I, I just want you to come along on this journey. It's, this is not anything you can fix. Isn't that the real issue for us? We're fighting an invisible source that other than trying to cover up or isolate, we cannot control. It's beyond our ability. I have a Band-Aid on my shoulder today, the second of Band-Aids. I had another shot yesterday. They tell me in a few weeks I'll be protected. That's interesting. I don't feel very protected. I feel protected from a greater source. Do we doubt for a moment that there'll be something else that comes along that endangers us? We live in those kind of days, don't we? We live in a broken, marred world. We live in a time that we need to safely and securely trust in the very one that can hold all this together. Isn't that really what this is about? Come on now. It's really about being moldable for God, available to Him. And when does He most have our attention? In days of distress. And boy, does he have our attention. Come and see. Come and watch this. Come and see what God might do. But look at that incredible second invitation down in verse number 10. And then he says, be still and know that I am what? That I am God. (laughs) Yesterday I was standing on some property we're about to move on to. We have a, I don't know, acre and a half pond that's there. And, uh, one of the guys working on the home that we're about to move in keeps asking me every, every time I go out there, he says, pastor, would you care if I go down there and fish in your pond? I said, well, absolutely not. But if I catch you fishing down there in the pond when you're supposed to be working now, that's a different thing. But as when, when work's over, go down there and catch all the fish you want. And, uh, The other day, he was so excited, uh, he slipped off down there about five o'clock, and he said about 5.30, he said, look, and he had it on his phone, he said, I caught a big one. And man, he had the proof there, because we know how fishing stories are, don't we? But the funny thing about it is, part of that video, was, I, I was kind of watching it there, and he had pulled this big bass up. It was flopping around in the grass there. And it was, as, as I was watching him, I guess he was trying to film it and reach down. And I was watching his hand. He, he, he was about half awkward and kind of like he was scared that fish was going to fin him or something. So Steve and I had an interesting little discussion there. I said, I, it, Isn't that something, Steve? I said, Man, that's happened to me. I'll pull a fish in a boat. Have you ever seen a fish that just thrashes and flops around? Now I says, Steve, at times I've talked to fish. I said, look, now you can lay there and flop around if you want to. And eventually you'll dry up like a prune. But if you'll hold still for a moment, I'm going to take that hook out and put you back into these cool, calm waters. Be still. Over in Mark 4, it's really recorded for us better there than Matthew because that's the only place that we have the word, by the way, that you really cannot translate into Greek language. Dr. Hobart can check me out on this and he'll find out his pastor's correct. The Bible says that Jesus, here's the moment, was asleep, NIV says cushion. He was asleep on some kind of mat. Disciples and he are in a boat. Storm comes up, they begin to shake him. They awaken him, you remember this moment? And Jesus gets up, what's going on? There's a storm, can't you feel it? Can't you see it? Can't you sense it? Jesus gets up and what does he do? The only real word we cannot translate because Jesus, not to the people, but to the sea and to the elements, said shh. Now that's hard to translate into the Greek language. Shh. In fact, when you look at it in the Greek New Testament, they did the best they could. They they translated that just with the word siapo. Siapo. It means to hush, Jesus, shh, all of the elements. And the Bible gives us an incredible invitation. Shh, be still and know that I am Elohim. This has not caught me off guard. You be still. You know, it's an interesting thing. When that Assyrian army in what, 708 got to the walls of Jerusalem, it's too graphic for me to repeat here. You can go over to First Kings or you can go to Isaiah as well. And uh, you can see the filthy language that was given there as they passed a note up on the wall there to send to Hezekiah and all those that inhabited Jerusalem. And essentially, in very clean language, it was just uh, basically saying, hey, we're about, as Assyrians, about to destroy the city of Jerusalem. So Hezekiah, in a panic, got down before God and began to pray, handed that to Isaiah. Isaiah goes and starts pleading to God as well. Anyway, the message comes back from God. Hezekiah, you send the message back and you tell the Assyrians, hey, you guys are running around here with nose rings. I'm about to put a nose hook into your noses, into your nostrils, and I'm gonna drag you back to Assyria on the same roads that you came down here on. Yes! And that's exactly what happened. I want you to come and see. But as you do, you be still. You can't fix this. And you know this. You know that I and I am Elohim. I am the God. Trust me. You know, my devotional time is important to me. And several months ago I just noticed in my devotional over this psalm of all things, not the whole psalm, but the second half of this psalm, two different times we have this reference in verse 7 and verse 11 where the Almighty Lord, the Lord of hosts, if you will, translated the war of war, the war of the conquering Lord of hosts. There's an interesting statement there that is used about 268 times in our Old Testament. That's a lot of times. It means a lot to me. The statement there in verse 711, the Lord Almighty is with us, that means a lot, amen? But I know most of us don't really relate to the second part of that where it says, the God of Jacob, the God of Jacob. That same God is the God of Jacob. You remember Jacob, don't you? He was the sleaziest of all the patriarchs. If God had asked me when they were writing the Old Testament, hey, Michael Cook, I'm going to talk about the God of Jacob here. I'm I'm, going to reference one of the patriarchs and and I'm going to choose Jacob. I would have said, oh, oh, no, 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 God, 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 there's a lot better than Jacob. Let's use Abram, Abraham. My goodness, for, for this monumental moment in this Psalm, let's use Moses, let's, let's use big Mo. But the inspired word of God, the Bible comes back and tells us the God of Jacob. You remember Mr. Sleaze that went to his blind father to try to weasel an inheritance? You remember the con man that got conned? He was the worst. And I was so moved in my devotional time. Several months ago, as God almost brought me to tears because that statement reminded me of something very important when we talk about a sovereign God God just spoke into my heart. Michael Cook, you remember something very, very important. No matter how bad you've been, I will never, ever withdraw my presence from you. I mean, if God stood with Jacob, God would stand with anyone. It it was if God spoke into my heart, you know, Michael Cook, no matter how many wrongs you made, I'm going to stand with you. Tonight, as I stand with this men's group, I'm so excited about what God's starting in our men's ministry. I know I'm gonna stand before two guys tonight that they really believe with everything in them, they believe that that the transgressions that they've made are so bad that they feel abandoned by God, their wives, their families, and really everybody around them. And I hope on this, the Lord's day, they hear my voice. Those words, the God of Jacob, speaking to not just their hearts, but all of our hearts and lives today. Everyone here that's ever committed a transgression, a sin, a no-no, a wrong, as hideous as it may be, he's still your God. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Lord, we thank you for these moments that we've had in your word. Thank you as we walk through these lyrics, this wisdom literature, these songs, these psalms, that they speak not only to the leadership element in our lives, but they speak into our very trust in you during times of difficulty and challenge. Father, are there those that are here today that are struggling with belief, with faith, with trust? Are there those that have come to this place that are so despondent and discouraged, so disillusioned, not knowing who to believe or who who to trust? Father, I just pray on this Lord's day that we would think back through the ancient of all ancients, back through the chronicles of history of those that had made faith covenants with our God. Dark days, good days, days of deliverance, days of challenge. We go all the way back to that moment in the garden when there was incredible, incredible connection with a man and woman there. And every day the Bible says God would dwell with them and talk with them. And it was just, it was just perfect. But Father, we know that a transgression wickedness came and now throughout all of history has delivered its death and sting into the hearts of every human being that's ever been born but father before that moment there was still the existence of our God as far back as we can imagine, think, dream conjure Father, you were there. You've always been. You will always be. So, Father, really is the message into our hearts today just a simple resounding, you've done all that you can do. Your best scientist couldn't fix it. There'll be more to come. This is not done. So why don't you come and see today Why don't you be still, stop flopping around and be still and know that I'm God. Father, place in our hearts through that infilling of your spirit, the desire to start at the origination point to come to the very author and finisher first always turning to you first and foremost. Father, we love you. We celebrate who you are. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.